literally just realized I didn't bring the mug that I meant to show off with a lovely Clarksville, um, Clarksville um, past death uh, mug um, that I wanted to show. <coughs> I failed. Back to the old days where I can't do introductions properly. Uh, we're here. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and it's another episode of Connect This. And um, I, uh, I don't have my props. Um, so let me let me move ahead to say this is going to be an awesome show with Kim McKinley and Doug Dawson. Our our hot shot all star guest lineup is back. Kim with Utopia Fiber, welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank you for having me again. And second, Chris, you didn't tell me this was a Christmas themed episode, so I did not wear my Christmas sweater. I'm a little upset. I, I think we talked about that, and you agreed that you were going to provide a photo of the Christmas sweater because it was too difficult for you to get into because you waited too long to buy one and have one that's not appropriately sized. <laughs> Correct. At my company's Christmas party, I wore a child's large Christmas sweater. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, welcome to the show. Uh, the second time we're talking today, wonderful to have you on another show. And I have a 20-year-old Grateful Dead polar Grateful Dead Bear shirt on. Oh, so I'm, re- I'm ready for winter here. This is a winter solstice shirt. So I'm hoping. Um, uh, oh, I'm in the. I'll show mine because I'm in the main area. But I've got. Ah, nice. Very nice. <laughs> the This Week in Tech Network, uh, uh, the podcast. I got me hooked on podcasts. Uh, Travis has his Christmas ago, black shirt on. Fifteen years ago, <clears throat> with my Christmas oh. wrap available. Ooh, and I don't want to brag. But I received in the mail an autographed Chris Mitchell document. <laughs> yeah. So that's going up on the wall. Okay, he wins. Yes. Uh, I already sent Travis something that he's on that is that's on his wall. Um, Travis, my co-host from USI Fiber. Thank you for a wonderful year, Travis. Um, yes, should brag for a second. That, that was my gift to you. Which one? That I, I had, I asked Vin Surf to sign a photo of you next to a picture of him. Very cool. <laughs> yes, thank you. I'll take one next year too. <laughs> um, we are going to cover uh, a variety of, of of topics today. You saw some of them in the title if you were there at the very beginning. Um, one of them is one that um, I wanted to start off with because we have some news to break as well, which I think um, I don't think we've talked about before, but uh, Travis's uh, love affair with EBB, uh, the emergency broadband benefit program might be at an end. Um, But uh, I wanted to start with maybe Doug giving us the the quick rundown of how EBB is changing in a few weeks uh, into the affordable connectivity program. Well, the big change is it's going from $50 a month to $30 a month. And quite honestly, if you're buying a $90 Comcast line, that's still a $60 broadband, and that's not sounding all that attractive anymore. So, uh, so I, th- I think, however, it's now eligible to people up to 200% of the poverty level, so a whole lot more people are eligible for it. So I think that subscriptions will go up, but I'm not sure that's going to help those who truly need it at the bottom of the economic scale. So, you know, it's a sort of a mixed bag. I don't know if Travis agrees, but... Let me let me just so I, I wanted to clarify, yes, that is true for people in the regular, but for people who are on the free, not free, but the low income tier that's available to students and whatnot, it would fully cover them. And so that's I think what the cable companies are largely planning on. So anyway, Travis. Well, I think Doug the Oracle has 
very, very rapidly his vision is coming true. I agree with you. Internet broadband will be a $100 a month service sooner than later. Secondarily, EBB, which is still a fine program, until you get a letter in the mail that you're aud getting audited by them after being on the program for 90 days. Well, that was fun. So now there goes a whole bunch more time and effort and energy to give them the information they need back. So that has been sent off in the ether. We'll see what happens with our audit. Yeah, there so... Leads me to believe there must be a lot of fraud in this program. Uh, well, Travis sent me that note. Yeah, Travis sent me that note the same day that the stories broke about the the places in which some ISPs who are not Travis <laughs> enrolled uh, thousands of people, um, said that the thousands of people were in the program enrolled in schools that had hundreds of kids going to them. And so it was a clear red flag. Yeah. Not us. I don't know. We Our, our model was they came to us with their qualification, and then we, then we gave them access. Or I think a lot of these people, maybe they were harvesting areas you know, trying to just find random people to, to hook up if they wanted it or not. So who knows? We'll, we'll see what no, happens. I think, I think they just made people up. Oh, even better. There you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I sent you the note about the guy who got arrested. He bought a Lamborghini with his $1.6 million of fraud from the, uh, um, wasn't that the PPP program? It was. Yeah. But the point is just fraudsters are fraudsters are going to fraudster. Yeah. If you make up a thousand people, Travis, at $30 or $50, they send you a thousand times $50. So. Yeah. But you know what also they do is if they catch it, they put you in time out for like a year or two. And <laughs> I, I, would hope, very, I would hope they put you in jail. But like, well, that's what I mean. And I have a very strict no boyfriend rule and they have boyfriends in jail. So I'm not going there over just over some cheap internet access. You're breaking my heart now because you told us earlier that you wake up to my blog every day. I do wake up to your blog every morning. <laughs> Pots and pans in the inbox. <laughs> so, Kim, uh, here we are at the end of the year. How is EBB treating you? You know, so we are a registered EBB provider, uh, but we have elected to let most of our ISPs, the ones who uh, get the money. So it's it's been a good program, but I, I think the problem, which I think the FCC has come out and admitted wholeheartedly, is that they didn't uh, really put any money to marketing this program to end you like end user subscribers, right? But with that being said, I think I was looking at some statistics today about the EBB program, and to say that it's outdone the Lifeline program, which has been in like in going on for 26 years, I think is a huge success for EBB. Mm -hmm. um, but like, what is this? I, I love that from a marketing perspective, we had to rebrand it to the Affordable Connectivity Program because we had nothing better to do with um, in the federal government right now. Um, but we'll see how it goes. Um, I like that they have to re-opt from the EBB to get the AC ACP money. I think that's the, one of the funniest things. Like, well, Yeah, I, I believe that forces Travis to reapply all over. Yeah. Awesome. yeah, does Travis have to reapply for everything too to be a provider? <laughs> I'm out. Yeah. Are you are you really? Well, I mean, how much money do I need to spend, you know, at the end of the day if, if this is this is like a giant pain and if I'm at risk of simply, you know, getting audited every 90 days, I mean, it's really just not even worth it. I mean, this is worth noting cuz Travis, you and I talked about this and I feel like you as a as an honest person or at least someone who's very good at pretending to be an honest person, 
yeah. one never knows. Um, you know, you had this sense of you were sort of like, well, I don't want to screw this up and go to jail. And I'm curious if, you know, if Doug or Kim has a reaction to that. I mean, my reaction was, was that like, I think the fraudsters go to jail rarely. And um, what would be more likely with it, if you were to screw it up is they would work with you to correct it. If it seemed like you had done it some sort of egregious or, or intentional mess up, you might get fined. But I don't think the FCC has a habit of being too um, uh, crazy in its penalties for people that break its rules. But, but if somebody if somebody goes and signs up and qualifies and gets their number and gives us their number that they were qualified and we get audited and find out that they weren't really qualified, Who's liable? Because I, I made the claim. Well, I, well, I can tell you. I can tell you. You have to give the money back. Yeah. So. I'll well, come I'm come giving it back. Right? Yeah, I'll come visit. Beat you behind bars, Travis. <laughs> <laughs> Question for you, Travis: What percentage of your customers are on the EBB? Very, very few. Which I also found is very surprising. I mean, we're talking in the low hundreds or a couple hundreds. This is why I'm really surprised. I, I have no idea and I have no way to figure out why. And if this is a standard business practice, and it wasn't even the FCC auditing us, they hired a third party. And whenever they hire a third party, I fear that they're gonna try to charge the FCC as many hours as they can, which means they put us into this never ending cycle of questions and answers. So we'll see, we'll see, we'll see what happens. I, I fear the third parties because they're probably being paid us a percentage of the bad money they recover. Yeah. That's not good either. So, yep. So, so now you're, you're for trying to do good, you know, help a few people out and get a few dollars back to help pay for your infrastructure. Now I've got, you know, people that are going to basically probably spend a tremendous amount of time dealing with this. Now it, to, to give you a good feeling, Travis, I think that if you pass a an audit or two, they'll let you alone. I don't. Well, think, which, which, which I think that's one of the issues right. is that being someone who has not been in the USAC system before is probably a much elevated risk of why you got flagged. But right. but think about think about if you were a real real small operator. I mean, honestly, I can absorb it. It's not a big deal. It's just it's just I think if you're like a small operator and you've got just a few customers on there, well, they'll scare the crap out of you. You know. On the other hand, the audit would probably be pretty short if it's like five people that you know by name. Well, well, it is, but then again, if it's a third party doing the audit, are they ever incentivized to finish the audit? That's true. I have a question for you. I, I know we haven't we haven't met well and talked about this in a few episodes, but did you ever get paid from the EBB? We did actually. That that actually started, and that actually once it started, it was pretty. You know, it it just clicked along. So that's I think we're on month three or four now. So I may end up giving it all back. We'll see. <laughs> So the um, another piece of news that we wanted to cover uh, is coming out of Bozeman, Montana. I can't. We are, well, we have to be very careful with this news. Um, we looked like that there is a possible project that we, have wor we are working with um, that the interest rate on a industrial revenue bond is coming in incredibly low, um, like lower than, like, to put it in perspective, I, I got a, I got a little warning of what I could say before we went here. Is like there was another bond in that same city um, that closed at a triple A rating uh, for four point or four point one percent, and uh, we are looking like we are uh, in the in the in the range of that um, for that project um, when it closes. 
when it sold last week, but we have not officially closed the bond. And this is a bond that is unbacked, that if things go bad, the investors lose their money. That's there is correct. no one that's going to come along and make them whole. So it is a what you would consider a risky um, bond comparatively. Correct. It is a it, it was what they call an industrial revenue um, bond. And it is backed or there is this like a county is supporting it, but there is no guarantee um, behind the bond. So I think it's huge that it, these kind of bonds can be game changers. And the one thing about this project is it is a 501c3. It is not a municipality. Um, it is a nonprofit. So I think that is a game changer as well. Um, because a lot of uh, communities around the country are afraid to get into this because of like, you know, bonding and um, using some of their bonding capacity that cities have. And a lot of cities are really maxed out on their bonding capacity. I'm sure that Doug sees that a lot in the projects that he's working with of how do you even get this across the finish line? Um, Cause they're working on sewer, they're working on schools, they're working on whatever. Um, and a lot of times, uh, you know, fiber just doesn't get to the, the top of that list. It's changing. I gotta think there's two factors, right? One is that um, it's a broadband project people are excited about. The other is your operational history. Investors yeah. are comfortable that you can deliver. So that's huge. Now, Doug, you're probably have more experience on this than almost anyone else. Yeah, Chris, it's because they hired me. I mean, we've talked about this on so many of these podcasts. Oh, Keep talking about it. Thank you. It's a good thing you got the bond right before you wore that really tiny Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, but, uh, you, you developed Dallas, I, I, I Dallas, to, Oregon, to, and they're done, right? Dallas yeah. is done. Yeah, I have to tell you that it's really amazing that a nonprofit got that rating. That is, yeah. a, that is a really good news-breaking story because that's even one step riskier. There's no backing to that. Even, even I mean, who is a nonprofit? It's a shell, right? So that's a, that's a pretty amazing story. So, um, you know, Travis thinks interest rates are going to go up. I know that. So Let's well, delay that for a second because I want to, yeah. I mean, so Doug, you, you were involved in a project that is not dissimilar and that is done right. now. Dallas, I that think is, is completed, right? And, something and that's Dallas, right. Oregon from the MyNet. Right. And so, you know, we had, that was a nonprofit that owns the network. Uh, it's uh, a municipality operates it. I'm very similar to, to what they're doing there. So. Uh, it did not get that low of a rate at the time. So at the time, that was considered a lot riskier, but that was three years ago. So, but so I, Travis, I, you had I, questions I, about I it. I imagine they looked at the county's rating. They just, uh, let's make sure we understand. They just didn't give this 501C a bunch of money. They, it was utilizing somebody's AAA plus credit. Uh -uh. Just, no, no. No, because that's the thing. So, I mean, so hold on a second. If Kim and I run off to Canada. You went out to bond market and got... <laughs> three percent money there's they, more to the story than that uh, there was a lot of there was a lot of um good partners into making thing these things happen um and it chris is right uh there is a lot of history with what utopia has done i mean if you go back we've almost done 400 million dollars worth of bonds uh, to this point and like since 2009 and those are being paid back solely by subscriber revenue so yes. there is a history of the partner who's associated with this. Project. I just want to make sure people understand that this yeah. isn't just like this is not yet. Yeah, Travis not wandering out and deciding they're going to build a fiber network in wherever, and there's all this money laying around. Well, no, I, can, for, I, can, well, I can tell you, a brand new nonprofit in a place who did had any history, it's probably still looking at six and a half percent today. So that 
you know, that's a really extraordinary. <laughs> but if you're a city, if you're a municipal network or a co-op network that has been doing very well and you're thinking about expanding and you do not want to put your existing service territory, your existing stakeholders at risk, it does mean that you have the potential of using this model to expand to other places. And I think that's pretty important. Yeah. And that, that puts the importance of what good partners can do for you um, in the in this marketplace and especially as we see a lot of these people who are coming out of the woodwork who know all about broadband but never have been in the industry um yeah you just have to have a really solid partner with a good track record um to be to be associated with you you know, I, I, think you, I think you said it half kiddingly but it's very true you know if this location wouldn't have used kim and her group it would be a whole different story yeah i i also have to agree chris that I, I am now hearing about a new major ISP almost every week that I never heard of before. Like, <laughs> who the heck? So these are investor back groups who have grabbed five guys from somewhere who did something somewhere, and it's like, you know, who the heck are they? So mm -hmm. it's it's that could be a new segment. We skipped right through Telecom Peekaboo. I don't remember yeah, yeah. Um, um, if we're. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I did actually have one lined up. If um if Henry's ready, we could pop it up. But that could be our other thing. Like, is who the heck are these guys? That could be another <laughs> recurring segment. <laughs> so for Telecom Peekaboo, this is a photo that I took um, recently uh, on a on a trip down to I think in Houston, um, and um, Ooh, yeah, I uh, I was just thinking that that's a. Uh, probably not the way you want to do it I, I don't know it was like that the whole time i was there um I bet, I bet it's been like that for 30 years too um doug you yeah. want to well, ideally quit? ideally that would be temporary but I, i've yeah. seen some of those in my neighborhood that have been there since i've lived here so. <laughs> <laughs> that's just, um, a, just a bundle it, right it, it's a quota bundle of extra wire that they have a use for that then they either didn't ever need it or you know nobody ever came and cut it back off uh, during the construction process, this is very routine. You come along three weeks mm -hmm. or a month and a half later and you string it the rest of the way. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's temporary wire waiting for the next stage. But sometimes the next stage never comes. <laughs> you, normally, you normally see it in like a snowshoe kind of configuration. Yeah. And that's that, why the, the yeah. snowshoe that is really, nice and That neat. is really loose there because that's that has the potential to be a kite. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So and that's there's, not there's a splice fault there too. You can see that. Yeah, yeah. That is, that is not healthy for the rest of the wires when the wind blows like it did yesterday. So. Oh yeah. That's All beautiful. right. Um, Travis, continuing on the the theme, you brought uh, the topic of the interest rates, worrying that um, the the. Um, uh, Federal Reserve Bank, I believe the Federal Funds Committee, whatever it is uh, that is in charge of raising rates, is uh, going to modestly increase them. And the sky is falling, if I read your text correctly. Well, I, I think that's just a piece of the puzzle. And so I was going to ask Doug and Kim this, uh, how, they're, how they're building their financial models with every variable changing. Yeah, very, variable <laughs> one changing. Uh, cost of materials now 30 to 40% higher than they were a year ago, um, you got the Federal Reserve rate now that looks like it's going to go probably up to the base rate up into the low threes, you know, so for outstanding debt that isn't fixed today, you know, you've got you've got exposure there. You have this Buy American mandate in one of these federal programs. Which we'll have, talk about next. Yep. I have no idea where all this is coming from. You have labor rates going through the roof. I'm struggling to model the future because the future is uh, there, there's too much there's too much moving and I and I challenge Chris to say with a volatile market like this when everything is moving in the wrong direction, 
who's going to take the risk to build a brand new network? We're not taking the risk, Travis. We're getting all this money from the federal government. Don't you understand that? Yeah, but I thought you had to pony up some cash too. Isn't it dollar for dollar or what? Oh, it depends on what federal program. I thought we were going to do something with the federal program of the week. Um, but <laughs> All straight. I heard there was one called Beads Now or something. So, yeah. Yes. Um, you need to read Doug's morning our, newsletter more quickly. <laughs> less quickly. More carefully. modeling this out. It's really... And the only the only way to, to change up at the times is rate increases to offset the additional expense. That is well, the only way out of it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Doug, are you changing the way that I mean, the federal funds rate, the uh, these other issues, the labor issue, the Buy America? How do you give someone an estimate right now for what it'll cost to build? I talk about each one of those things, and we look at the worst case. And mm -hmm. if the worst case still works, then we feel good. Here's the problem that to describe what Travis said in a different way. Let's just say you get a 75% grant and you're going to put in 25. All that extra falls on you. It's no longer 75. They don't pick up 75% of that, all that extra stuff. Because mm -hmm. they'll set a dollar amount the day you get the grant. So if that stuff goes up 40%, your, your matching just went from 25% up to about 40%. So that the risk is that, that you have to come up with a whole lot of more money out of your pocket. And so you just have to do a very worst case scenario my models have material, labors, mm -hmm. all that stuff, and the time delay, which is the killer. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and it's like, if it still pencils in with all those things, you know, the good news is in the past, very many projects look good with a 50 or 60% grant. So if I get a 75% grant, it covers a lot of those sins, but it's not going to cover all of them. You're absolutely right, Travis. There's projects right. that are probably going to get funded that probably shouldn't be funded. But I think and I, I agree with you, Doug, but I think the other thing that we're here at seeing at Utopia is that we're shovel ready. So when we like put that like the proposal and it's finalized, we go. So we're, we're pretty accurate to what our cost structure is for the most part, because we're putting in some very conservative estimates. And usually our projects are done within that year. If you have to bond for the project, build up all the 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 resources and the labor and all the equipment, I think you have a delay in that. And I think that's where you're going to see a lot more damage. But we are seeing um, our costs go up by 30%. And we, when we walk into cities, we are very much telling them that our costs, that somebody who signed, we had a couple cities, which we haven't announced yet, soon to come, uh, that have recently signed an agreement with us that we said, if you signed December 1st and you decided and you signed to January 1st, your costs are definitely dramatically different because our contract pricing is going up. So if they decide December 1st, we ordered every piece of equipment for that project to hold it um, to that, that price point we got. But that's because you're going, you're going borrow money, build. If you're yeah. getting one of these grants, if you go right now after the RUS grants that are going to be in February, you're going to start applying in February. You're going to find out by the end of next year, if you get the darn thing, and then you're, it's going to be another year or two that you're actually out building. So now it's a three-year gap in there. Now, now yeah. you have the you have the timing problem. And I think that's the, that's exactly my thing of being like shovel ready and being able to really mm -hmm. finance the projects like instantaneously <clears throat> after they're approved. But that's the problem with the ARDOF grants, right? Mm -hmm. Like, how many are going to be returned because nobody can make those work at this point? Like a year ago has made a tremendous difference on the cost suddenly, suddenly bidding at 10% of the reserve price may not make a lot of sense. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, a little bit less sense than the original bid. Yes. Correct. 
Well, Kim, I, I'm kind of with you because, like, like, even in our model, you know, where we're not using any federal dollars, we're able to take the the components and put it in the ground. I I got to add shovel ready to my list of of of. of uh, oh, Travis, you must not have been paying attention in 2009. That was all the yeah, rage. Come back now. See, I thought feasi feasibility to be shovel ready was the way the, the new way now. But no, I mean, but aren't aren't you guys inventorying a lot more stuff now? I mean, we just redid our model. We've got five million dollars worth of parts and pieces that are here now that we normally were using more for just in time kind of model absolutely yeah, i was wondering about that about kim in particular absolutely yeah, are, are there yeah. other pieces are you like reach are you changing how you're deploying your people based on what's available in that or has it not gotten to that point yet so the one thing about Utopia that I think we differ very much from other ISP or Mordana ISP infrastructure is that we're vendor agnostic. So we're able to pivot um, if we see supply chain issues. Unlike, so if somebody is uh, like a totally Nokia shop and like Nokia is having a chain <laughs> issue, they're like, they're sitting and waiting for Nokia's gear to hit. Um, we are very much have so many different um, equipments throughout our network, and we were able to change them up on the fly if we're seeing Isn't that a giant pain in the ass? <laughs> um, talk, to talk to Timmerman, my boss, uh, he's a network engineer, uh, but he doesn't want to be, I think that was one of the issues at the beginning of Utopia when we were known as the biggest failure in the Muni network was that we were leveraged by so many vendors, um, consultants, no offense, Doug, and other people around um, the industry that it's been very ingrained in our culture that we do never we never want to be leveraged by one entity ever again. That was definitely PK though, pre-Kim. Yes, that was pre-Kim. Yet again, 2010 is when I started. The success started right about then. Coincidence? I think not, my friends. I think not. I love it. <laughs> well, see, but, mo but most of the people going after this grant money are not don't have the luxury of doing the way the way you and Travis do it. So that's the problem. Yeah, so. Exactly. That Those are the ones I'm worried about, which is why I said to, to Chris, I'm not sure a lot of these networks are going to get built. They'll get talked about, but are they actually going to get funded and built? I mean, so this is where I feel like my view of government is a bit different in that I do feel like this is such an important issue for people that if we just need to come up with more money, we'll do that. And I do think it'll get built. Now I want to. I want to. If we want to talk about that, we can. I, I want. I want a little taste of that. Well, just going to start printing money. Like I, I get it, but I mean, there has to be some savvy business people around behind these projects to make them actually work. Because you can't. Yeah. Just no, I agree. I'm so. I'm just saying that. Like Travis has this sense. I think that like, oh, people are going to be like, oh, it's too expensive now. Let's not build it. No, oh, someone will be building it. Risk. That's all I'm saying. Government will. We'll see more and more uh, potential. Counties will say, you know what? We really wanted to have some. This is the story of like so many counties saying, we really hope someone else would build it. They're not. Okay, we're going to do it. And they're going to put public dollars into it. And I'm not saying that like it's going to be like wasteful. I'm saying that like if it gets expensive to the point where the private sector can't do it, the pressure on the counties will just continue to increase that they will have to put more of their skin in the game. That's okay. But there are Doug, an awful responding. lot. Of, there's an awful lot of counties who will never be able to do that. Lot, counties are the weakest government government entity in the whole chain because most of them only do roads and and a prison and a you know a couple schools, so they don't really have a real budget like cities do or like states do so a lot but this of is the really sort of thing that changes yes. that i mean like that's the thing right i mean like you know like well, they don't have the nobody built roads like in the way that they did until yeah. you know the the 30s and 40s so but they, but they don't have the borrowing capacity that ken mentioned that's their big weakness mm -hmm. yeah, so. but doug do you not think that counties are going to be the next like they're going to be the next game changer in the broadband industry because i think they have to get into this game 
Because um, how are you all going to build in rural areas? Well, that's who I, most of my clients are right now. So I, that's who's trying to do it. Well, back to Travis's point, let's see what happens in the next three to four years. So, so one of the things that's making this a headache, though, that we talked about, and I want to come back to now is the Buy America provisions. So one of the pieces of the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act is that there's a strong requirement uh, if you're going to spend that $42 billion on broadband. Um, most of it has to be spent on stuff made in the U.S., uh, which is, um, first of all, like we don't have the supply chains to support all of that. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm curious, Doug, how you're, how you're going to see that coming out? That you're well, there's two parts to it. A hundred percent of materials like fiber, conduit, and resin-based items have to be made in the U.S. hundred percent. No, ex no excuses. Fifty-five percent of the cost of all other components have to be made in the U.S. That's two really hard thresholds. We have, we've had that. Uh, that rule's been in place since 1933. It was put into place to stop Japanese steel way back when and, and German steel. Uh, however, in 2009, in, in the ARA grants, they gave a waiver for all this stuff. The broadband was simply basically excused. They're not going to excuse it this time. You know, it took me a while to even find it because this starts on page 3,500 of the stupid bill. <laughs> that, that's a lot of reading until I got to that. And I went, oh, my God. Oh my is, God it all, is, is it all U.S. or is there a North America provision in there? there a handful of items can be gotten from Canada. Mexico is not included in this and may change, though, because of NAFTA. Of it's right. not clear the United States has the authority to require that, um, yeah. given our trade agreements with uh, Canada and Mexico. And right. so I think um, we've already seen the beginnings of, of Canada responding to some of this. Yeah. So that is an interesting question, Travis. Well, so, okay, so let's, not to get too nerdy, but Kim, I'd be interested on your side, but to go down the pieces. So conduit shouldn't be a problem. Handhole shouldn't be a problem. Um Low count fiber, not a problem. High count fiber, none exists in the U.S. And um, let's just be very clear. What do you mean by that? Like 144, 288 strand fiber, you can get domestically, but anything higher is going to be real tough. And then, um, but all your electronics, mm -hmm. like nothing. Fifty-five percent of those. Yeah. So what's made here? I don't know, unless they're going to play that where they like ninety-five percent does build it in Taiwan and ship it here and somebody puts a lid on it. And if that counts, well, then you can do it. You got to no, pay that person no. a lot of money to put the lid on. <laughs> well, you know, no. you know how they play those games, you know, made in America, but really isn't. Well, no, th this one, this one really has language that stops that act. This, this okay. actually contemplates well, that. Then, then good so luck, I guess. The other thing, this puts an amazing amount of pressure on all these supply houses to prove the cost of all their stuff. I don't know how they're going to do it. So. Yeah, but that's the point. Like Doug, so why? What is the point of the those the supplied like houses? Are they are they going to lower their costs or they're going to like like raise their costs sky high? Oh no, I mean, no! This is one more reason why they're going to raise their price another yeah, time. Which is which makes <laughs> Doug, or yeah, Travis's point even more viable. Um, you're like increasing all your equipment costs and your conduit costs, and then you're going, and we our interest rates are higher, and then our supply chain and our labor. How do you pencil these projects? How do you pencil these projects with, they're trying to put every little tidbit they can into these bills. And like, it's just like, you're not, you're not making wise business decisions and they're going now, to be under. Now, I mean, now I'll take the other side of that. conspiracy theory because my, you know, 
conspiracy theory is the big carriers got all these little nuggets in there to make it hard for anybody to actually. It, amen. I was just going to say that. My second point is, boy, this is some cheerful Christmas show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, here's the thing, right? Like, this is the sort of thing where, you know, the pandemic or, um, I don't know, like floods in Thailand that disrupted the hard drive market several years ago. Um, you know, this is this is something that might be short term painful, but long term good. I mean, like we need to make more things in the United States. I oh, think. I think I'm we need to. I'm 100 behind by America. We need to bring all these places back here, but that's going to be a little hard to build 45 billion bucks worth of stuff until we do. That's what I'm saying. That's great. That's a great point. When you it have is. one billion, not 45 billion, and we already have supply chain issues from across the world. I mean, it's just not feasible. Um, but go ahead, Chris. I want to hear your rosy view of this. Come on, let's go. No, it's just that. I mean, I'm I am deeply concerned about the authoritarian nature of China. Um, I'm also concerned that too many of the people who are critical of China are also racist. <laughs> I and so like no one wants to be associated with those people. Um, but I think that there are re reasons to be concerned that China is so powerful and and we're so dependent on them. Um, I think there's reasons to be uh, concerned about the nature of supply chains and wanting to remake them so they are more local. Um, I think there's issues about the fact that uh, we've offshored. Some some of this because there's laxer pollution standards in other places. And so we're polluting other other continents to build our stuff. Um, you know, I think there's a variety of reasons in which um, we should be bringing things back. And in the long, in 20 or 30 years, when we can ignore all the pain of these next five or 10, um, it will probably be better off. Doug is right. $100 a month internet is coming soon to a household near you. Hey, Comcast already announced their next rate increase. So it's yeah, I saw that. Yeah, and Charter's got to be coming up. You said it's usually around this time, Doug. Yep. Well, um, charter is usually yeah, no, about another week for Charter. Yep, so. It's so, going to be painful for the next five years and really painful for me. How much Botox do I have to get in my face? For the <laughs> Just asking. Just a question. Hey, is, is anyone watching the show? We usually have comments and there's none today. Yeah, so, I don't know. Um, I, uh, oh, we just um, talked together. I can see that there are some people watching. Um, like two. And um, uh, we actually, last time, so I was curious. Yeah, yeah, no, it was it was off the hook. Obviously, we're not talking about uh, the subjects that people have a lot of burning Arguing. thoughts on. Well, I, I believe um, that we've probably depressed everybody, and they've all. Cried. Well, I'm about to. I wanted the next topic is going to be awesome, and it's, it's exciting, although it's short. So don't get your hopes too high. Um, Henry did ask a question in the private chat, which is really good. Which is like, does the bill include funding for people trying to manufacture fiber, et cetera, in the U.S.? And that would be a really smart thing to do. Like, you want all this stuff put in the U.S. There should be some incentives to help establish it, I would think. Well, here's the interesting answer to that. That money is in the other half of the bill that didn't pass yet. Build back that better. It's in the build back better plan. There's a lot of money for new factories in there. If that doesn't pass, the answer is no. So. Way to help so, the cheeriness out there, Doug. Way to help the cheeriness out. So, yeah, boy, that, I, I think, I think <laughs> you want to talk about like what's exciting. One of the most exciting things is Vermont. I mean, we, we talked about this with Carol Monroe and uh, when uh, and Peggy Schaefer uh, in a past show. Um, Vermont is so exciting. We just found out that Vermont, I think, had took delivery on like 2,000 miles of fiber that it ordered for the towns, uh, the local projects in Vermont that are uh, moving forward. One of them is already is a broken ground already. The the Northeast Kingdom um, is uh, is building, and there's a whole bunch of community union districts. A great model, not unlike Utopia, moving forward. Um, although not open access, um, but are, they are working with partners. So um, I think this is a wonderful model. I'd love to see more states doing it. Uh, Doug and I chatted this morning briefly about it. 
I just want you to understand that that's still a small drop in the number of miles they need, but it is great. It's yes. awesome because they've they they've beat the supply chain. So yeah, and that's the thing is I feel like you don't necessarily need all of it, but if you can have enough so that you're moving forward, I think that's well, good. What the, what the state is doing, instead of giving you a grant, they're giving you fiber. I mean, that's really kind of awesome. Yeah, it's like giving someone a, a savings bond. You know, like it's a, it's a gift that keeps on giving because when the fiber goes up 30%, that means your your yeah. gift effectively went up 30%. Yeah. But you can't lose, like you can't lose fiber like I've lost savings bonds. <laughs> The federal government thanks you. I thank you. <laughs> I thought I was the only one, Kim. I've been looking for years. It's so much oh, it's, it's it's not as bad as if, um, you know, those of us who knew about Bitcoin back in the day and uh, never bothered to set it up or those who even worse did set it up, minted 25 or 50 Bitcoins and then lost their wallet. <laughs> that's well, or how about that's the guy millions that, of dollars. The guy and his buddy who bought a pizza for 12 Bitcoins back in the day. Right. <laughs> Travis... <laughs> I wanted to, I want to get a, a reaction from Kim and Doug on something that you've talked with me about several times. You may have mentioned it on the show. Um, maybe I forgot that we've already talked about it, but it's Wi-Fi 6E. And what is that? What is what does the 600 or the six gigahertz mean for fixed wireless in the next few years? Because Travis thinks it's looking really good. Okay, which we have. Okay, great. Do, do you want to keep going? Go ahead. Doug. Yeah, um, Go ahead. other people probably forgot too. It's not. <laughs> It, it's both good and not so good. The fact is, it's a really nice, big, fat broadband path, but it's kind of messy, ugly spectrum. And in a competitive environment, it's going to be noisy. It doesn't like weather. So it's kind of way better and sometimes not so good. It's going to be, it'll make it better. And it could easily have places to get two, 300 megabits per second, uh, except when it rains. And so, you know, it's, good. it's going to be one of those sort of, you know, on off things. Um, so it's, it's great, but it's, it's not the world's best piece of spectrum for outdoors. It's, it's uses inside your house and there it's, it's, it's the king of the hill. So, I mean, you know, all of a sudden I got 29 new channels and my, my Wi-Fi in my house. This is amazing. So now I need a big router. I'm going to have to have Travis come down. Here. Well, that's what I'm curious. Are, they, are, they, are we heading to the $500 router? I was just, um, no. I, for people, Doug, actually, no, actually, I, those, actually, those big ones are cheaper than the well, I, I was I, on Twitter. I had a little, I had a little discussion. I mean, I went through the Comcast installation procedure um, on Monday, and it was a breeze uh, for a new install. For my parents moved, it was really nice, and uh, except for the fact that it couldn't find the modem because there was no line from the um, street into the house anymore. Um, the previous owners had cut it; they didn't use it, and. Um, and but but uh, it, so it said can't find your thing. Um, you know you want an appointment? We'll send someone out. And they gave me an appointment two days later. Uh, that person came out super good and um, talking with him, and he was talking about how the the new routers and the new modems um, for the the new Doxis modems are going to be on the order four hundred dollars. Um, mm -hmm. Which I mean it's getting. It used to be that it was okay. So I have to spend one hundred and fifty dollars on a modem, or Comcast charges me seven dollars a month. Now I feel like it's four hundred dollars. I have to pay like. $14 a month or something like that. That's only the cutting edge ones for the first yeah. months. They're not going to stay that expensive once they make millions of them. They'll well, yeah, but you have to today. make sure, depending on their speed, if it's is getting 10 megs, they get a $400 router, right? And that's mm -hmm. some of the problems. Like, But for our network, if you're getting 10 gig, you need the one consumer uh, grade device uh, 10 gig router out there, which is a $500 router. Um, but it just depends on the like service level. You, you do not need to spend that kind of cash for um, what most Americans get for a service level. 
well, this this plays into the supply chain. I don't know if you guys are seeing this as well. <laughs> is Broadcom and all the chips manufacturers are no longer manufacturing the inexpensive chips anymore. You know, so Wi-Fi five, you can't buy them anymore. The chips are will no longer be manufactured. They're not going to use the time. They're only going to be manufacturing Wi-Fi six and six eight chips. Right. If you can't meet demand, you got to make the most expensive ones. Well, you get rid of yeah, get rid of all yeah. of your low hanging fruit. Um, but on the spectrum, what's interesting outside is, and Doug probably remembers this, when we moved from 900 megahertz to 2.4 gigahertz, it was the greatest thing in the world. Then we moved from 2.4 to 5 gig, and now we're going from 5 to 6. My worry is, is it's going to delay people from deploying fiber because they're going to think that it's, you know, there's now there's 180 megahertz spectrum there. They can get four or 500 megabit. They can compete with the Doxus plant for a few more years. And so now, now the typical wireless scenario where they're going to run around and upgrade everybody in the towers, and you know, just delay it another two to four years because it's it's going to be good enough. But it's going to get noise polluted. Oh it's yeah, it'll get noise again, and all the stuff. Still having that conversation though, because I'm yeah. not hearing that conversation nearly as much as I was three years ago. Oh, we're going to be. Just, That's good. I just yeah. saw another announcement. Red Zone's marching all over Maine right now. Um, remember, the FCC just granted a company gigabit wireless. Ardoff, this is going to be a giant company. Which one yeah. got it? I didn't see that. Um, which one was that, Travis? Did you remember? I don't After know. Long, in the last round, one of those three that had been yeah. gigabit won their one. I don't remember who it was. I really enjoyed your uh, piece this morning, Doug, um, on LLA, which I just oh, I have to say, like, um, for the friends, for people who are friends of uh, Letterkenny, it's LLI. Um, a little inside joke for none of you apparently watched one of the best shows that's, that's uh, coming out of Canada right now. Um, Doug, what is LLA? Actually, it's LA, but yes. LIA. There you go. It's, it is the FCC and their infinite wisdom under Pi decided that it, they would let the cellular carriers use all the free spectrum without paying for it, even though they were auctioning off all the other spectrum. And they swore, they go, look, it's, we're just going to dip in there under emergencies. We're not going to interfere with anything because we're outdoors and Wi-Fi is indoors. And we're not going to mess with it. Well, th there's some folks lately have been doing studies, and and when a whole lot of and the cellular companies are using it crazy, and when they do that, even indoor routers are losing at the worst case in these studies, 97% of their broadband. But but even in normal times, 20, 30, 40% of their broadband. So when people are this only happens in congested areas. This is not a rural issue. This is a city issue. So for all these places that have put up all the hotspots for kids' school, for all the coffee shops, for anyone who lives anywhere close to a heavy traffic area just in your house, and you're wondering why your Wi-Fi sucks, it's because AT&T and, and Charter, or AT&T and Verizon are stealing it all. And so uh, the way it works is technically that stuff has a different priority. It grabs the bandwidth before Wi-Fi does. So it always gets it first and it holds it longer. So you just get screwed. Uh, and, the, and the FCC, you know, everyone said this is what was going to happen. And oh my goodness, look at this. That's exactly what's happening. And they're still no. denying, they're still denying that this is a problem. But let me ask. So, I mean, the whole point of unlicensed is that it's unlicensed. So um, why did AT&T and Verizon have to even get permission to do this? Because it, it, it was unlicensed for certain purposes, did not include commercial cellular. Because they knew okay. that's what would happen. If you, if you made it completely available commercial cellular, they would use 100% and Wi-Fi wouldn't, wouldn't work at all. And so they're not, they're, they, they don't even dip into the whole thing, but they dip into a chunk of it right 
and remember Wi-Fi is a very polite protocol. That's you the know, problem. It's yeah, L, you know, LTE is not. It's a bulldog. It just grabs it and takes it. And that's Doug talks about that, and I thought it was very well written for people who aren't familiar with what Travis just said. Yeah. He explains how Wi-Fi works and the whole listen before, and, and, and I thought it was a really good read for folks. I think everybody should wake up to Doug Dawson's pots and pans in the morning like I do. Monday through Friday, 8.15 a.m. Well done. So a big issue. Um, Travis, um, what's the first question you get whenever you talk to an elected official? In, oh, okay. Uh, hold on, hold on. Here's my new one. Are you – hold on. Let me get my other glasses out. Hold on here. Wow. Wow. Are you looking at your network through the eyes of inclusion? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for mimic, um, mimicking. These are eyes of inclusion, and the answer is Yes. When we build our fiber optic network, we go up and down every single street, and whoever is there is welcome to participate in it. Some areas, there's less demand than other areas. So, yes, the answer is yes. But you're rare. You're rare. Most people are trying to stuff. Well, and, yeah, I can't speak for everybody. I'm just speaking for us. But it is, it is no matter what city or town we go into, it is the very first question that comes. That comes. And so I wanted to use that as an intro because – uh, I think in previous shows here, and I've been guilty of saying this in a variety of areas, I have not taken the um, uh, the digital discrimination uh, reporting requirement uh, that was in, is it the infrastructure bill, Doug? Um, yeah, Kim's, Kim's helping me out here. I um, pages. I got you. Yeah, let's be clear. So people talk about how many pages. Like, if they put more than fifty words on a page, like it would be fewer pages. Like it's it's ridiculous. And um, at any rate, um, this is an Harold Feld schooled me on this, and 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 for not taking it seriously, he said this is really serious. The FCC is going to make a rulemaking. It's it has to do something for real, and and I have a bunch of concerns about how nuanced it'll be and whatnot. And and, and Harold's answer is basically, like it's a new it's a new time, and they have to figure out what new tools to build in order to make sure that uh, we are not seeing a lack of investment in areas that need it. So, but Doug, Kim, what's a little on all the cable net company networks have already been built? That's the problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but Travis, you were very unique of being a private ISP that is going down every road. What was the business decision of why you did that, decided to go down that route? Well, OCD. so, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, because I want it all green on the map. No, I mean, really, it's, <laughs> I, I really wanted to be the first NFL city 100% covered in fiber. That was kind of a, a, a career goal. And the fact, we, we learned actually early on that everyone feels that certain areas I don't think there's really any area in the city of Minneapolis that won't mature. It's just some areas take a little longer to mature than others. But my position back to the elected officials is bandwidth is only 10% of the problem. Most of the folks I talk to that, because, you know, we ask them, why aren't you using our service? And they're like, well, we use our cell phone or we don't use computers. You know, we sit and live on the Internet all day, every day. There's a huge section of society that doesn't. And they actually go outside and like use parks and all these other things that I never go to. So, you know, it's, 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 it's hard to sell somebody something when they really don't want it. We talked yeah. to the previous homeowner at my parents' place and I was, and I was like, did you have cable? And they were like, oh no, we used rabbit ears and we used CenturyLink for, yeah. for internet access. Yeah. And I was like, Whoa, DSL <laughs> like in 2020. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah, it's like a meeting I was in one day, and there was a young guy, probably like our age. I said, you know, who do you use for internet? And he goes, I don't have internet. I almost fell over. Like, what? He goes, no, we just, you know, when we're at home, we spend time with the family, and, you know, I use the internet at work. Well, how am I, How are we going to – I'm with you, Kim. I, the other meeting that blew me away is when I sat down and talked to a guy, and he had 18 kids. So those were the two most memorable meetings of my life. So, yeah. but, but let's throw a statistic at you just on averages yeah. now. You know, 15% on average of people have no internet, so they, they use the cell phone or whatever. Yep. Another 22% on average still have DSL. There's a lot of people in cities who have one of, one of those two options. So, you know, It's so a that, huge problem with fiber networks, Doug, right, is right. a few megabits good enough. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, that's, you know, what we face is somebody just wants to, you know, believe it or not, we have thousands of Wi-Fi customers that have one, three, or six megabit service. And I can never figure out why we have it. It's cheap, and they get their email. Stream. Yeah, yeah. But I think that was the problem when Google Fiber rolled out, and they offered the three meg service, right? Free, yeah. free charge, free of charge, because people were actually just using their free product. They thought yeah. everybody would go to the gig, and they weren't, because um, some people think it's good enough. And well, and eleven years ago, seventy dollars was expensive. No, it's not. But then at yeah. that time, that was a high price. Yeah. Um, so the digital rulemaking, um, Doug, do you have any prognostications as to what to expect from this? Which which rulemaking? The digital discrimination, the redlining one, which I don't, I, don't, I just don't like using the term uh, redlining. I, I don't I think just, this is properly I, I really, understood as redlining. I just don't see them having, you know, again, the lobbyists are going to win the day. There's no way they're going to make the big companies do it. Let's look at AT&T's model. AT&T builds two block areas around fiber nodes. They're going to have 30 million passings by 2025, and they're all in two-block increments. And then there's four blocks with nothing, and then there's two blocks with stuff. And they're just not going to be able to make them do it. I don't care how many rules they set. They're, they're simply not going to follow it. And they're never going to let them rule. My, my prediction is the lobbyists win like they always win, and it's just not going to happen. How can you make people build a whole city, um, you know, if they've already built, how are you going to pull AT&T in when they've already done this? By the time they get this done, AT&T will have their 25 million passings. And they'll just, they'll just use those for the rest of their life. And they are absolutely redlining today, but they're not really redlining. They're building poor neighborhoods and rich neighborhoods. They just go, this is where I have them all sell. Build two blocks. And this is where there's a school in a poor neighborhood. Build two blocks. They are really not redlining. They're simply going the cheapest construction route. This is my vote for Muni Broadband of yep. why cities and communities across the country should do this, except where Travis is, because clearly he doesn't. Could you take my city of only 90,000 people? There's probably 15 or 20 of these nodes. It makes it hard for someone to build the rest. It's really uh, it's, it's a real economic challenge here. So. And that's why I agree with Kim. Like, I ultimately think you know, whether there are state or federal dollars or not, I think cities are going to have to pony up. And that's my answer to redlining. Cities should start, um, maybe start strictly with the public, um, public housing and connect them and expand, you know, as needed uh, to bring uh, a base service to people who need it and competition to those who want it. And it's a, it's just like water or electricity in that uh, the cities need to step up when the private sector uh, isn't doing a good job or when it can't be expected to do a good job. But the problem is we just said for, the, for a high percentage of people, 
a few megabit is good enough. It's not a high percentage of people. I don't think that that's right. I think it's a significant number, but I don't think it's like, a, I mean, I, I think it's like, you know, um, 30%, you know, 40%. Right, right, right. I don't think it's 70%. No, okay. it's not. It's, it's so 30%. 30%, but to those 30%. Broadband is not a not even an issue, right? There's, but but every year that thirty percent shrinks. Well, that, no, that's the thing is over time. Yeah. But you know, I would tell you, like in Minneapolis, broadband isn't an issue. Crime is the problem, right? So well, if, yeah. if you went out and said, "Hey, what would you want the city to invest in?" Broadband is going to be pretty low. Right. We've talked about this before with some folks, and I and I think one of the things to understand is people think about these in different buckets. Broadband is something we can solve. Crime is not something we can solve. I mean, hell, if you went back to the mid-90s and you told people that we would have the crime rates that we do right now at this moment, they would say, well, how did you solve crime? Right. But at the same time, like, we don't feel like we've solved crime. We're constantly paranoid about it because, like, you don't want anyone to be harmed for un for random reasons anywhere. Like, the, And the so, like, there's, no, there's never going to be a solving crime. There's never going to solve education. Yeah, we didn't yeah. have social media, and now we know about every single crime with an 89 yeah. blocks yeah. on us, and then we didn't. So, but And I'm not minimizing that there's an uptick, <laughs> but it's still, it still pales yeah. in comparison to what we were dealing with, <laughs> you know, 25 years ago. I do have, That's I 25 do, years ago. I do have a bet. So we're talking about, like, uh, digital redlining and whatnot. And, Travis, NFL City, that's your goal. I doubt, and I, I'm an advocate of Muni Broadband, that we will ever see a Muni Broadband project in an NFL City. I agree. Um, yeah. Oh, I take that bet, but I need like 15 years. <laughs> well, no, but I'll say that a lot of them have talked about it. Yeah. But I, but I agree with you. There'll be plenty of talking, but actually. Is there going to be, well, I, like, so we would have to define the terms. Like, do, do I think that we will see an NFL city build a citywide municipal system? No, I would agree with you there. Do I think we'll see a, a, a city that takes on, you know, like a, a network that connects 5%? Yeah, I can yeah, imagine yeah. that. Uh, well, absolutely. They're going to do I that. could see that. But yeah, building out a, a complete city, yeah, not not happening. No, but I don't want New York City to do that. I don't even want St. Paul to do that. Like, I mean, uh, uh, big cities need to improve their governance before they can take on um, that kind of level of responsibility, I think. I'm, I mean, I'm, when I look at like whether it's, um, I don't want to. I don't want to pick any specific cities, but there's a couple of big cities that have come close. And when I looked at them, I'm just like, wow, like the things that derailed it were all just so like, it was like, um, you know, it was egos and just, and just stupidity and not a commitment to what we need. I mean, what makes utopia work is that, is that you don't have these massive egos getting in the way and making decisions about like how Roger's going to be a mayor or the president of the United States or something like that. All they have is massive glasses. That's it. No, we have massive glasses and a lot of star Wars around here. That's what we got. <laughs> now, Doug, your connection has been crap today. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> this afternoon. I'm on Charter, that's why. But, but um, uh, Charter, we, we talked about this. Charter's monkeying around in North Carolina still. What are they, what, what were you talking about? What is the, the provision that they got? You have to hear the latest, okay? We just passed our budget. The budget has something like $900 million for broadband. However, there's some really nice little catches. Right in the budget, it says any local government who uses a penny of their ARPA money to build broadband is not going to be eligible for any of the $900 million. That was a nice little thing the Charter snuck right into the budget. That's like my prediction in this state is that 700 of the $900 million will actually never be given anybody. You <laughs> so, don't think Charter will find a way to gobble up as more than $200 million? Well, they might find a way to. That's the only 
party who can probably take it. So I don't think they're in, or they're not going to want to in Western North Carolina where it's all trees where I live. So the answer is they're not going to. Try they're going to big in Eastern North Carolina, though. No trees. Right. But. Right. So the answer is they're not going to tackle the hard places. They backed out of Ardoff in my part of the world. They want it and gave it back. So because somebody drove out here and went, who bid on this, you idiot? <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, it is just so frustrating. <laughs> and there's a part of me that at this point, I'm just like, all right, fine, North Carolina. Just, you know, you, the Republican leadership of the of the legislature in Raleigh, I just, I kind of want them to, to carry on so that in five years, when people are just like, why does North Carolina, just like this like awful cable monopoly with crap service and $130 a month service, we could be like, the Republican leadership chose that. That's what they thought would be awesome. In Arkansas is, and Mississippi is, are flooded with amazing fiber. This is not a blue-red thing. California is still very yeah. controlled by AT&T. And I'm, I'm curious. AT&T couldn't derail the thing. I mean, I'm not saying it's blue-red. Like, I'm not saying that like you know no. that all the Democrats are great. But it is Republican leadership in Raleigh that is doing this. Oh, in, in our state, it is, yes. Yeah, which is very funny because I live in Utah. It's a very Republican state and has so many muni broadband networks. And very popular uh, here. And I think I've said this, but I'll say it again. In the survey we do at Utopia Fiber every year, one of the questions we asked this year was, are you glad that your city got involved in this? And the answer was an overwhelming like 80%. And you're like, huh, that shocked me to even hear that kind of response rate. And that's and a great question. Have, you, don't have, you don't have an 80% take rate, so the people even without it think it's a great thing. No, this is 80% of the people who signed up. So, uh, yeah, not 80% not of the re like the residents of the community. Well, I'm not so sure I like that. And if 20% Yeah, I was going to say, who are these like folks? That's not all that great. <laughs> <laughs> Fine, I'll take your crummy service. I'm so angry. <laughs> giving me this great like price. <laughs> yeah, they don't like that we're in it. But they will. They were like, "Well, if I'm going to pay for it, as they say, uh, if I'm going to pay for it, why not sign up for it?" Um, but yeah, no, it is very interesting because your politics here are a little one-sided of in the state of Utah. Well, in, in in North Carolina, there's actually a majority of Republicans in the legislature who would actually get rid of the barrier. Um, you know, they sponsored bills to to improve the situation, but it was the leadership that refused to have a vote on it. Well, so who gets some gigantic contributions from Charter? Yeah, a lot of a lot of uh, the dark money too. Um, yes. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm curious. I'm I think you know Arkansas and Mississippi are going to be um, doing well. I think Missouri is going to be doing well. I don't I don't really have a sense yet of Minnesota. Like I just feel like there's just not a lot of people in the legislature that take this seriously. Um, We're a purple state, and right next to us is another purple state, Virginia, and they're going to get broadband everywhere. They're doing it the right way. So just it's a matter of leadership. So. Yep. Interesting, because I'm hearing the opposite view from people I know in Virginia, that they're like, Virginia is messing this up royally. So, interesting. I don't think they are, because I've talked to the ISPs, and they're pretty happy with what's going on. They think the money, we'll see. I mean, the proof is in the pudding, but they're, you know, it looks, they believe it's working. So, yeah. Hmm. So... Um, as we're closing in, the show will be over soon. Uh, we won't be doing another episode until January. So, um, uh, Travis, um, what's a highlight of the year, um, highlight or low light of the year, uh, from broadband and it, it can't be you just quoting price increases once again from January to date. <laughs> what were the highlights of the year? Highlights for us or highlights for the industry? I think for the industry, like what's the top story? Like when you go back and you're thinking about 2021, five years from now, what are you going to be thinking about relating to broadband? 
Oh, I'm just, I'm super happy that my buddy's cabin is up in Northern Minnesota is going to get gigabit internet service. I'm very happy with that. I got to imagine it only costs taxpayers 20 grand to bring him service, but us where is it folks in the metro area up in Ely, you know? Oh, so. is that CTC or is that Paul Bunyan? I, I think no was, CTC is doing an expansion in Ely that's funded by um, Ely. Uh, the city put up a, yep. a um, bond to own some I'm, of it. I'm envious. I, I, I can't get fiber at my house and down here in the Twin Cities, but his cabin that he goes to three times a year will have it. So I think that's our big, big congrats. Yeah, but his city got involved in it, whereas your city is just like, eh, there's not a problem. So yeah, maybe. Uh, we, well, we can't. We're not allowed. You know, we, 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 we're 25-3 here. No, I'm you can still Travis. you can still decide to do it. Yeah, I'm loving that Travis is show off on a positive note, ending this show <laughs> off so positively in the Christmas season. <laughs> I just think Kim is in a really good mood, and I'm happy to see that. So. <laughs> of course, she's in a good mood. It's a Thursday afternoon, and she's yeah, hanging I mean, out with us. Change in her life, but I'm just happy to see her <laughs> so shiny and bubbly and happy today. So you're such a jerk, Travis. But. <laughs> <laughs> um, Go ahead, Chris, back to you. <laughs> yeah, no, I just want to be clear. Like, I don't know how much of, uh, of Ely is getting taxpayer dollars or public I subsidies. No I, I, I think the city of Ely actually anteed up and said, we're going to take a little bit of risk and we're going to make this happen. And that's what the metro communities often refuse to do. I mean, there's there's like, you know, using um, state or federal dollars, but then there's also just saying like, you know, we're going to use our own hard-earned local dollars to to make this happen. That's um, no, I, I actually like to answer mine honestly. I was just kidding. My my favorite one is the fact that I did win the chicken wing bet. So they did not. Yeah, change it. yeah. I'm, I'm not going to start paying until late February. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, Chris <laughs> disappears. Yeah, we won't see him next year. I'm the one that's been trying to set stuff up, and you keep giving me the runaround. I think you and I should. We need to grab another dinner here quick while you're still paying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> Doug, highlight, low light. Uh, your mine's actually rosy. We have finally gotten to the point in time where there's no more discussion about whether better broadband's needed. There, yeah. there's no more discussions about that. There's not one person, no politicians talking about it. So you know, it took us for 20 years. I've been fighting that battle, and that's behind us now. So that's good. So, yes, absolutely. Five Kim here. <laughs> Uh, I have a few. I think in this year that you saw that open access came out as a very popular model um, from cities across the U.S. and a lot of people are talking about it. I think you see more municipalities across the country looking into doing this, which I think is huge. Um, and I just think that I think this conversation about overbuilding and that people are saying, like talking about overbuilding and what overbuilding means is competition. Um, even having that that conversation is huge. Um, on the negative side, I think uh, what's really scary is how much lobbying we've seen come out of DC to stop all the progress that we made in the past year and how much money is really flowing out of Washington to stop all of these projects to connect communities. But yeah, I think it was overwhelmingly a great year and I can't wait to see what 2022 uh, brings and the chaos that 2022 brings, because I think it's going to be fun, but I think it's going to be a, a definitely a ride. I, I'd like to have, make a bet between everyone except Travis. Do any of the three of us believe that Travis will come on this show with a shirt that's not black? <laughs> I don't have any. So, yes. No, oh, we're, we're going to have to get him one. It's now. my uniform. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we should send him like a white shirt, see if he puts it on. Yeah, right. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I kind of, uh, yeah, it's a creature of habit. You know, I don't know. It hasn't changed in 30 years. Um, piece of breaking news. Uh, LTD was denied an ETC by the state of California. Uh, it's, uh, it's not clear if South Dakota will decide to give them an ETC or not. Um, I think no, they, they didn't, they didn't have a very big footprint in California, so that's not a giant. Thing. Yeah. No, Iowa. I think we talked about Iowa. We mentioned that previously. Iowa turned them down. Um, so, LTD is suing true. Iowa now. Yeah. So this could be like, I mean, they were the biggest award winner in Ardoff, correct? Yeah. Yes. So at two losses and maybe a third, this would be an interesting. Dominoes. I think yeah. it's sending a sign to the FCC. And I, I've long believed that, um, I've long believed that the FCC should be, um, very willing to cancel awards that it finds to be unlikely to be performed of which uh, I've been pretty clear that I feel like LTD would fall into that category. Not alone. I've been worried that the FCC would solely cancel LTD as like a sacrificial lamb and then have all the other problematic awards go forward. Um, uh, so, uh, but I don't know what to expect, frankly. Well, hang on, Chris. Now, how about, what's your comments for 2021? Yeah. So I was sort of leading into that. I mean, I feel like, States are doing a little bit more. I'm excited that they're having more responsibility. Um, you know, at the end of last year, we were still in this model, and some of us um, still had hope that the FCC's reverse auction would work well. And this is a process in which um, the Federal Communications Commission takes billions of dollars and says, who wants to serve West Virginia? Oh, Frontier. Frontier wants to serve West Virginia. And the people of West Virginia are saying, no, no, please, anyone but Frontier. Please send Elon Musk to build tunnels, whatever you do, anything but Frontier. And the FCC says, we don't care what anyone in West Virginia says, we're sending you more Frontier. And that's not happening anymore, uh, at least not from the federal level. Now the state of West Virginia will decide what kind of program to move forward and whether or not to give money to a company that has been, um, I don't know, negatively reported on, blasted by almost every state it offers service in. Um, so uh, huge progress to the idea that these decisions should have more local accountability. Uh, I think the infrastructure bill literally requires, maybe it's the one of the other pots of money, but some of the money requires states to consult with localities in terms of how they're developing these programs. And so this idea that we should have some local decision-making, local you know, thinking about this, is a, it's a massive change. And I hope that people don't decide it's a failure just because a few states, maybe half of the states totally throw their money away. That's better than all of them. Exactly. That's yeah. I mean, I, I think the FCC probably wastes most of the money. Now some yeah. of the states will do a great job with some of the money and hopefully we'll learn something. I'm not going to, I'm not going to make a bet that we're going to learn something, but we could. Bede will be far more successful than RDAF. Absolutely. Right. That's Bede is the, is the um, infrastructure uh, 42 yes. billion. Yeah. Yes. Well, so I think, I think that's huge. I mean, that's sort of in some ways the culmination of my work. Um, you know, for, for 15 years, like making this case that like we need to have more local input impact. So, I mean, I, I didn't make it happen, but it's um, something I've been wanting to see. It's exciting. Yeah, but there's no reason why you shouldn't go ahead and take credit for it. That's this, exactly. is your show. this is your show. This, 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 <laughs> as a marketer, doesn't matter. Just take credit for it. Lead with the example. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's certainly, it's certainly my show, but I, I have a show that I do where I interview other people and this show is like a billion times more fun to have <laughs> three people on at the same time with Travis as a co-host. So I definitely can't take full ownership of it. So what's the, um, 
what's the big stuff for next year then? 6G, anything exciting that we're going to talk about or that's going to cause us issues? Or is it pretty clearly fiber now 22? Next year is all about supply chain, unfortunately. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I think that and um, scamming business models, um, that's going to be okay. a big issue. Um, you know, how I about, think... How about maps? We always hear about these maps that nobody... Yeah. Has. The podcast that I just recorded um, with uh, Derek Turner from Free Press, who's a preeminent person on how the FCC's evolved this over the years, uh, we talk about the history of the Form 477 form. That'll be out in early January, I think, the discussion. But um, maps are going to be a big issue. And it's going to, I mean, the cost models that the FCC will be um, developing are going to be a big issue, I think, with with how it assumes um, certain areas will, how much it'll cost to build in those areas um, as states and others try to figure out how to have a rational program um reviewers i mean like as these programs start happening like every single person in the industry that knows how to review these grant proposals is making grant proposals <laughs> so like right. who's gonna be reviewing them they're gonna need a thousand good people to do this yeah labor is gonna be huge i think labor yeah. of anybody who knows this industry at all um i think i think everybody on this podcast is seeing people like switch positions like i like i see somebody and i'm like where are you at now Two weeks later, where are you at now? Like, oh, really? Okay. It's really uh, changing. But here I am still at Utopia Fiber. I'm a loyalist. I'm are you guys going to get any of this money, Kim? Are you guys going to get some of this cash? Most no. likely not. No. No. If we do, it's like going to be in small cities and other, but very, very small if we do it all. But I would say guaranteed. Probably. I was hoping. I was hoping you were going to wink and say this, the entire state of Kansas was just going to like have you come in and build their network, the do all everything that they need. If I'm going to go somewhere else, I need to go someplace else better than Kansas. No offense to everybody who lives in Kansas. <laughs> but why, why don't you qualify for it? Why don't you qualify for this? Just because you... in a lot of the areas it's served, it doesn't like in the populated areas that we're in. Um, and Utah and some of the rules that Utah with the lawmaking, rulemaking that's coming out. Because to um, Chris's point, the states are getting a lot more control. But what does that lead down to of how the states want to disseminate this money? And I think that is a conversation we're going to see in the next year. Um, are they going to be pro muni? Are they going to be pro big telco? And I think it's a wait and see game on that as well. Because that brings up the point that we talked about the last time is the state broadband directors, which a lot of states are having a problem finding people um, to hire in that aspect. And, and who do you hire? Somebody who's in, like a big telco person? Or where do you get the, the candidates for those roles? So do you, think actually, ever, do you think they'll ever change the rules where you guys qualify for some of these dollars? No. Well, that's that's actually a, an interesting point. I feel like that's the one forgotten bullet that I forgot, which is um, there's a wild card that Doug wrote about in and some of us have been trying to figure out what to expect, which is this money in the Infrastructure Act is almost entirely for rural areas, except for very high poverty public housing type facilities. And I feel like that's a little bit of a wild card. I'm worried that NTIA will be very swayed by the cable companies to basically not do anything with that money. But in theory, that could be money that might be useful for you, Kim. Yeah, I mean, it could. And I think that the NTIA is a wild card, too, because I'm hearing that they're trying to double their staff as well from yes, well, like they 100, need to. Yeah, 135 to like 270 or something like that. I don't know. It's double, whatever. And what, who are they going to hire? It's just it's so interesting of what we're going to see in these movements in the next year. And I think if we're having this conversation next year, I think we'll understand a little bit more of the direction of this this uh, infrastructure money. Well, they took the straight state broadband uh, 
director from North Carolina and TIA did. So that's where they're getting them. <laughs> right. I, I think it would be curious to see, like, of all the states that have a broadband director type person, um, in one year, how many of those people have more than a year of experience on the job? I would say less Not than 25%, like yeah, certainly I, I, maybe less than 10%. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And I think that's the scary because we're giving the control to the state and then we're giving it to more control to an inexperienced person who might not have any experience in the broadband field. Yeah. When I was talking with Russ Elliott about that, who was on the show recently, I, my argument is I think some of these states should pay that person $500,000 a year. I mean, it's, it sounds funny until you think of like, well, they're not doing something important like coaching a football team or a basketball team, <laughs> which those states have public employees that are getting a million dollars, multi-millions of dollars per year. This is something that is going to decide. The, I mean, it will change by, sing, by, by single digit percentage points, the economic output of these states in coming years. And that person should be someone who's qualified and is getting compensated for what they're doing. Yeah. And they could do that. They could absolutely use the state ARPA money to do that with. Well, and I was actually approached by a state um, to be their broadband director. And I, they asked, they told me what the salary was. And I was like, I work for a government agency and that's laughable. <laughs> but, so I think that is what, like you're seeing, you're not going to get the qualified people who are going to have to work the hours that are going to be um, needed for this kind of project. No, it's going to be killer hours. Absolutely. Right. Well, my feelings aren't hurt, but no one has headhunted me to run their state broadband program. So clearly I'm doing something right. Unfortunately, that's because they've seen this podcast. (laughs) I can't get a job. Walmart won't even hire me. So this better work out. Um, this has been, it's been a great year and I really appreciate, um, the three of you, uh, on this show. I, I, I know that, um, we have an audience that really appreciates it and, um, um, you know, I pay myself a huge salary to host it and I don't pay any of you uh-huh. anything. So <laughs> I really appreciate all the time. Like me and Doug have gotten nothing. Travis has gotten chicken wings once. Yeah. Uh, did I? Yeah. Did actually yeah, pay can- one time? Yeah, because you came to my office and we did that live episode. Oh, yes, and I didn't want to eat on camera, so therefore there was two left at the end. I remember that. Yes, uh, yes, and the president of Spain didn't call you that time. That's usually the other times we're hanging out. Yeah, well, just so you know, Travis, we heard you eating the whole time, even though we. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah Chris has this amazing talent of as soon as the last chicken wing is done, his phone rings. Yeah. It's the uh, it's the, um, the the thing that women do on dates with me. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Not even true. I basically stopped dating when they, people had cell phones. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's been a wonderful year. I really appreciate um, uh, the folks who have uh, been in the chat room helping us uh, decide whether or not this is worth doing. Um, I know people in the chat are doing really great projects. Uh, people that, that watch the show are doing great projects. Uh, Doug and Kim, you have very full schedules. I'm, I'm, I just really appreciate that you guys come because you have the perfect mix of, uh, of, of a lot of knowledge of the industry with a good sense of humor and, uh, and a tolerance of me. And those things are hard to find. So. <laughs> Travis, is, uh, Travis has been wonderful. And I uh, really look forward well to it. We got- well done. Well done. Thank you. We have some really great ideas for the beginning of January. We're going to line up some some great guests. We're going to bring Kim and Doug back, I'm sure. And um, hopefully we'll have uh, three Democratic commissioners, two Republicans, and we'll have better insight into this stuff. So um, 
ordinarily we go into a little after party to sort of debrief. Um, but um, because I'm now running the show, Henry had to leave Rise uh, out as well. Um, I don't know how to do that. So we're just going to end the broadcast here in a second. And I have to run myself. So. Yeah. Oh. Thank you guys. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Bye, everyone. Bye. Be safe. Bye.